My name is Jim. I'm an alcoholic. And I hope everybody had a good uh, afternoon break or took a nap or went into town or did whatever you needed to do. And welcome back. And um, I want to thank you guys for being so orderly and uh, and obeying well. You know, that's from an Al-Anon, I'm sure. Um, um, And uh, the next... Our last presenter this weekend is somebody who I don't know well, but got to meet him over the last uh, several hours, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say on steps 10, 11, and 12, so let's give a warm reception for Flo. My name is Flo. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, Jim. I want to I thank Pat for asking me. To, uh, to come up here and share with you guys. This is my first men's retreat with this particular group, but I have to do something. If I can get this mic to come out just for a moment. Okay, so I want you to look on the T-shirt here because the artwork is incredible. And I figured out who everybody is. So if you're near a, if you're near a poster or you're near a T-shirt, take a look. The guy down in the right-hand corner that's kind of pissed off and tough-looking, that's Jimmy C. right there. <laughs> The, the guy with his eyes closed, the peaceful guy, that's Pat over there. The wide-eyed, goofy guy, that would definitely be Ben, okay? And then this guy with the smirk, the shit-eating grin that's leering, well, that's that's uh, Diamond Jim over here right after, right after he hit the needle. I'm telling you right now. Honey, I'm home! Oh, my God. The guy in the middle, and the hair color has been changed to protect the innocent, is our newcomer Billy from San Francisco, right there. Seven days, give him a hand. That's right. So, what I love about weekends like this as we come together is the God shots are everywhere. You know, just stuff happens and you go, oh, that's incredible. So today, during Pete's share, where are you, Pete? Where's he, he's Pete. Okay, so you got to see this. My lucky rock, I swear, right here. This is an official piece of the reef that was taken from the Exxon Valdez when, when it was towed down to San Diego. Now, I want to tell you, $79.95 on eBay is what I paid for this, right? Now, I wrote the check to P. Knight, all right? Now, I hear Pete Sharon, and he says he comes up here every year. I go for a hike today. There's rocks like this everywhere around his camp. <laughs> the hell is going on with that? So, I, I put a little something up on eBay to get even. There is a slightly dirty one-year medallion for $200. <laughs> and for $400, I'll put it back in the ground, okay? Oh, my God. I, uh, I'm going to try to refrain today from talking about my junk uh, or, or anything that surrounds it. I, I really enjoyed that. The, I mean, we took men's meeting to a whole nother level this weekend. I, I really believe that. But I, I truly want to thank all the speakers were brilliant. All you guys that covered the steps. Let's give these guys a hand. And... Uh, 
Last night, Mike doing the history and Doug talking about Sandy. God bless you. Let's give them a hand, too. Very, very much. Am I the only guy that didn't date a stripper when I was getting loaded? What ha What's up with that? So I, missed, I missed out on that one. Um, so to get to 10, 11, and 12... I, there's a guy named Herb K. Herb K. does a, a, a workshop. He does it uh, on uh, Monday and Tuesday night. It takes over a year, usually about 15 months. Sometimes he does two at a time. He does uh, a Monday night down in the South Bay and Tuesday night uh, in the Santa Monica area. And he goes through the book line by line. For 15 months, it's open to anyone in any 12-step programs. If you've never heard Herb K.'s uh, tapes, you really ought to get them. But he has a take on step 10 that I want to just kind of open our talk with and share with you because I really believe that uh, there's some validity to that. And Herb talks about the fact that our program begins with step 10, that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous begins with 10 and is in fact 10, 11, and 12. And so what he talks about is that everything up to that is essentially preparation. Everything up to that is training because all 10 is is 4 through 9 over again. It's just repeating this house cleaning. Trust God, clean house, and now that we're open spiritually, help others. And I think in order to get there, I just want to talk a little bit about, Jim covered them so well, but I want to talk a little bit about the promises. Because the promises happen at the end of step nine. They're the ninth step promises. There's third step promises and tenth step promises and fourth step promises. Other steps have promises. But what we call the promises are uh, at the end of step nine. And so... There are 12 promises, and I want to go through them just quickly because, interestingly, interestingly enough, they correspond, in my mind, to the 12 steps. Now, I got this from my sponsor. His name was Kenny O'Brien. Kenny passed many years ago, but he's the man who took me through the steps. And so on the bottom of page 83, uh, it says, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. So the first step says we admit we're powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become un unmanageable. The first promise says we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. If you can't draw the correlation there, I probably can't help you. The second, <laughs> the second, the second step says uh, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And the second promise says we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. My insanity, my behavior when I was drinking and using is one of the best assets I have because what that allows me to do is connect with an alcoholic where no one else can and, and hopefully lead him to believe what I found to be true in step two and that there's hope. Uh, step three, I made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. The third promise, we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. If I've succeeded in doing the third step, that's the result I get. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Uh, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. Direct correlation to step four. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human beings, another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Promise five, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. How many men in this room have had the experience of reading a fifth step? How many men have had the experience? That's not me because I don't get cell, so I don't know what's going on there. Okay. Uh, you know that when I did my fifth step, and I, it took four hours to complete, my sponsor fell asleep twice. He said he was listening deeply. 
it took four hours to complete. When I finished that, I had earned my damn chair in Alcoholics Anonymous. I could walk into this room and I could look you in the eye and I knew I belonged here. I knew the way I drank and used that I belonged in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I still tried to think my way out the door because I was different. Um, step six, we're entirely willing to have God remove these defects of character. Uh, promise six, we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Makes sense to me. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, the shortest step, word-wise. Promise seven, the shortest one, self-seeking will slip away. If God removes my shortcomings, then self-seeking is gone, and I'm here about you. I'm other-centered rather than uh, than self-centered. Um, step eight, made a list of all the people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. I made that list, I put everyone down, and now I can see on paper what I need to do to get well. Uh, ninth step, may direct amends wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. The ninth promise, fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. Bang. Um, now, we get to 10, 11, and 12, which is what we're here to discuss. Um, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Wow. I have to tell a story. When I was married, uh, my wife would not let me talk to anyone behind a counter or in a uniform because I was just a raging asshole. I tend to not like the way you're doing your job, and I tend to want to make suggestions about how you can improve that. And so it didn't matter whether it was a restaurant or at a dry cleaner or the grocery store or wherever it was. She would, she would try to, she, you know, not all the time, but if I'm having a bad day, I want to take it out on somebody. And so I would get shitty with somebody behind a counter somewhere, and we'd go out to the car, and I'd start the car, and I'd sit there for a minute, and she'd go, you're going back in, aren't you? <laughs> i go, yeah. Can I watch? No, stay here. This is humiliating enough. And so I would go back in, and I would say, you know, I was a real ass. Uh, you didn't do anything wrong. I'm having a bad day. I took it out on you. And I'm not going to do that again. I hope to see you one more time, and I hope you're not too upset with me. I apologize. And so uh, I intuitively learned how to handle situations which used to baffle me, which was to shut my damn mouth. Okay, step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. He's got a spider. Uh we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. I open that channel. I make that connection. I get out of the way, and things happen magically without me screwing them up. And then the 12th step, having had a spiritual awakening, is the result of these steps. We try to practice these principles in all our affairs. The 12th promise says, and there's a lead-in, are these extravagant promises we think not? They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. I have to continue to do the work. So step 10 is just doing four through nine all over again so that I stay clean. And if I stay clean, then I, in fact, I can be a channel. One of my favorite speakers in Alcoholics Anonymous is Bob B. from St. Paul, Minnesota. He is my favorite. I, I'd follow the guy around if I could. I met him at a, internet, at a conference in Florida, the, the 56th annual AA convention, and I followed him around the convention center, and he was like, Flo, go away. Leave me alone. 
The guy's amazing. But one of the things he says is, I am the pipe, not the well. And so God works through me to you. And then it comes back through me to God. But if I am going to be effective, I have to keep the pipe clean. It cannot be full of gunk. It cannot be in the way of the source. And so I have to continue to do the work. I see people come into Alcoholics Anonymous, they work the first nine steps, and then they stagnate. And over a period of time, they stop participating, they sit in meetings, they judge everybody, they're not listening, they know what he's going to say, they become scorekeepers, you know, instead of participants in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I need to stay active and current in Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's what 10, 11, and 12 are for. I have heard them described as the maintenance steps. I don't necessarily like that. I've heard them described as the growth steps. Okay. We're going to read a little bit of step 10 in the big book, and you're going to hear that that's what it's all about. But I have a new word that I'm going to lay on you today in a little bit that I really like. But um, I do want to, Jim referred to this, pray well, obey well, play well. And I'm going to get back to that because trust God, clean house, help others. So I'm a big book guy because... We talked about Sandy last night, and he loved the 12 and 12. I I crammed on the 12 and 12 and 10, 11 and 12, because that's what we do. And so I do have some stuff I want to pull out of that. But, again, the way I see this is I have a choice. Once I get to step nine, and I'm clean, and, and I want to tell you, I feel like I was. I heard someone else say it today. When I read that fifth step, I left nothing out. I left absolutely nothing out. I think it was Pete who did four and five. I, I put everything in there, and I laid it all on the line. For the first time in my life, I was completely honest with someone. And so by the time I got to nine and finished my amends, I was very clean. And so it can go one of two ways. 10, 11, and 12 can simply be about surviving. You can survive in Alcoholics Anonymous doing just a little bit. You know, you can have the needle here, hardly moving. Or you can pin the needle and thrive. And what I want to do in Alcoholics Anonymous is thrive. So I want to do all the work. I want to get to all the work. I want to participate because that is what brings joy in my life. And we're going to talk about that in step 12. But on page 84, one of my favorite paragraphs in the book, Bill says, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. This is the step where he says we commence this way of living. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. I don't know about any of you, but when I was out there, I was ineffective. It always seemed like you guys got the instruction manual and I screwed everything up. And I didn't, I was not understood. And I did not understand what was going on around me. And that's all I really wanted. I wanted to, to grasp the situation, I wanted to take appropriate action, and I wanted to be effective. You know, as a kid growing up, my dad was gone. He split, and, uh, you know, I, he wasn't around when I was growing up. And so my role models were on TV and in movies. And, I mean, my first out-of-body experience, my first actual getting high, did not involve drugs and alcohol. I went to see Sean Connery as James Bond in Thunderball. And I walked in that movie like 5'9 and 120 pounds, and I walked out six feet and bad. You know what I mean? It, it changed how I felt about myself, and I said, I want to be that guy. That's what I want. And 
what all my heroes had in common. doesn't matter whether it was Captain Kirk or uh, Jim West on the Wild Wild West or Alexander Mundy or Joe Mannix or any number of shows that I watched as a kid. They all could assess a situation. They understand. They made a plan of action. As they put the plan of action into effect, they ran into roadblocks. Shit went wrong. They kept going. They prevailed. They saved the day. They got the girl. That's who I wanted to be. I couldn't get to noon. You know what I mean? I, I just had a hard time living life. And so when I saw this, that uh, our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness, I said, I want that. I want to make an impact out there. I want to make a difference. I want, to, I want a big life and I want to walk through life knowing that I've influenced other people in a positive manner. And so Bill goes on to say, this is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. He always has us going back to that inventory. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly. If we have harmed anyone, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Every time we do something in Alcoholics Anonymous, whether it succeeds or fails, we always go back to who can we help. You know, Bill says you should be able to go anywhere on the planet, even where they're drinking. But if you feel squirrely, find someone else to help. Bill says if you have problems in the area of sex, no matter what happens, grab a newcomer. It always comes back to find someone to help. That's the solution. And love and tolerance of others is our code. How powerful is that? How great is that? And I mean, it, this fit for me. I was 12 in 1969, you know, the summer of love and peace. And I, you know, I smoked a lot of pot and did a lot of acid and went to see a lot of those bands. And, and I love this stuff. It made sense to me. Now, here are the, here are the 10 step promises. By the way, there are 12 of these and you can do the step thing again, but I don't have time today. Do that on your own. It's powerful. You can apply each promise to the appropriate step and it makes sense. But here we go. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude towards liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That's the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are, nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Now, here we started in step one, powerless over alcohol, and it's just gone. When Bill talks about spiritual things, the language is like the language of magic, like watching a magician suddenly or all at once or it's just removed. You know, when he gets into spiritual ideas in the book, it's that kind of thing. And so it is removed. Why is it removed? So that I can do the work. So that I don't have to worry about booze. I can do the work and work with other people. It's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. That is the most overquoted line in the book. It drives me crazy. What should be quoted, as much as that is, is the next line. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. 
These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line. All we wish, it is the proper use of the will. In step 11, he's going to talk about the will again and how, to, how we can correctly use it. Much has already been said about receiving strength, and inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. Strength, inspiration, and direction. Remember, we started at the beginning, in the doctor's opinion, with restless, irritable, and discontent. Now we have finished the action steps. We're at step 10, and we now have achieved the exact opposite. Instead of restless, I have strength. Okay? Instead of uh, irritable, I am inspired. And instead of discontent, I have direction and I have purpose in my life. The steps have solved the problem of alcoholism for me. But with, not to quote Uncle Ben Parker, but with great power comes great responsibility. Now I have a job to do, and that job is to help others. Um, okay, so I do want to talk about the fact that the steps overlap. Because what is step 11 in the book, the paragraph about when we retire at night, in, by the time Bill writes the 12 and 12, 11 or 12 years later, becomes a step 10 inventory. Don't get confused with that. It doesn't matter. They're next to each other. It's good enough. Oh, and I do want to, one line from the 12 and 12, in Sandy's honor. Um, I love this line from step 10. It is on page 90. And it says, it is a spiritual axiom that every time we are, are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah, and you might be doing a lot of shit wrong, but if I'm reacting the way I'm reacting, I got to look at me. So I wanted to pull that out of uh, the, the 12 and 12. And then on the next page, he says uh, that he suggests a willingness to admit when the fault is ours and an equal willingness to forgive when the fault is elsewhere. And then I'm free from that spiritual axiom of being disturbed. Um, so Bill in step 11 kind of goes backwards because he starts with at night. And he says, uh, he says, step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter. Uh, we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. When we retire at night, we constructively view our day. And then he asks 12 questions that if, if you're new to prayer and meditation, it's a great idea to sit down at night with this paragraph open and ask yourself those questions. Were we, were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving towards all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? I love that line. That's how I want to live. I want to pack everything I can into the stream of life. I just want to fill it up. And, and I want people to notice, you know, and that may be ego, but who cares? You know, I want people to notice, hey, look at that guy. He's having a good time. He's living life. I want to be a part of that. Um, but we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection. Do you think we have a tendency to do that? <laughs> For that would diminish our usefulness to others. He doesn't say we don't drift into that negative thinking to protect ourselves. He says we don't go there because it gets in the way of me helping someone else. After making our review, we ask for God's forgiveness. I don't do that enough. I want to say that out loud. I don't ask for God's forgiveness enough. 
and inquire what corrective measures are to be taken. So now Bill's gone through the nighttime. Now he's going to go to the daytime. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. I love that phrase, thought life, because I have one. You know, I just did a little meditation seminar with my brother, and, and my thought life is a big dominant force. You know, I have a AA life. I have a work life. I have a family life. I have a social life. I have an exercise life. You know, I have a private life, and I have a thought life, and the thought life has overlaid all of those. You know what I mean? And it drives a lot of them. And so if I can raise it, you know, if I can place it on a higher plane, what a great idea because all those other areas improve because this thought life is overlaid on top of it. So I just want to go through what I say in the morning and, and some of it is, is directly um, in correlation with this. I start always with the third step prayer. I get on my sponsor gave me a daily routine when I had about a year and a half of sobriety. And part of that routine was prayer and meditation. I had to get on my knees for 10 minutes in the morning and have a conversation with God, starting with the third step prayer. I had to then sit down and read the big book for 10 minutes, putting my bookmark wherever I ended and picking up at the same place the next day. Some days I read a chapter. Some days I read the same paragraph 20 times and go, fucking do it all over the next day. <laughs> So there's my one F-bomb, just to feel like one of the guys. Uh, and then, so 10 minutes, 10 minutes of prayer, 10 minutes of sitting with the big book, and then five minutes of sitting quietly. Now, my brother just did a meditation seminar. Bill does not talk a lot about meditation in this portion of the big book. He goes more into it in the 12, in the 12 and 12. But I love what Tom said, and Tom, I hope I don't say this wrong, um, but meditation is whatever happens. Tom, you there? My brother's sleeping through my talk. Tom, meditation is whatever happens when I sit down to meditate. I'll say that again. Meditation is whatever happens when I sit down to meditate. So if I want to beat myself up for doing it wrong, no, I did it. And Bill doesn't really talk a lot about it. He says uh, in the next paragraph, he says we relax and take it easy. And that's really all he ad addresses meditation. But we'll go a little more into that in a minute. So... Ten minutes of prayer, ten minutes of the big book, five minutes of sitting quiet. I start my prayer with the third step prayer. And then I, I go, Lord, thank you for my health and my sobriety. Please direct my thinking today that it be divorced from self-pity, self-seeking, and dishonest motives. Show me throughout the day what it is you want me to do next. Uh, I pray for freedom from self-will. I pray for knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry it out. That's the 11th step. I pray to want what I have and for the ability to take care of it. I pray to want to be where I am and when I'm there for the courage to change. I pray every day, please, God, remove my need to figure it out, whatever it is. I pray for new ideas today. I used to pray for the old ideas to leave, and now I pray for new ideas and the actions that go with them. I pray always, whether, in I'm, a, whether in I'm, I'm in a relationship or not, uh, that's that's so funny, Ben. He came up with the, the new word because he couldn't say monogamy. It was mononymous. <laughs> yeah. So I just stumbled talking about her. So that that should tell you something. But every day, 
Every day I pray for the willingness to let her go. And that's whether I've just broken up a relationship, whether I'm getting into a relationship, whether I'm not in a relationship. What I am praying for is I'm asking God to take away all of my needs, wants, and expectations about a woman, to let her go and let her be who she is so that I can interact with her as one of God's kids interacting with another. And I have a lot of growth in that area. Uh, I, I ask God to show me in the morning what I can do for the man who's still sick. And then I have my own little version of, of the third step prayer that I, I stole from my friend David M. And that is, God, put me where I'm supposed to be today, doing what I'm supposed to be doing with the people I'm supposed to be doing it with. I'll say that again. God, put me where I'm supposed to be today, doing what I'm supposed to be doing with the people I'm supposed to be doing it with. And that way, if I'm stuck on the 405 and I get angry and frustrated, I go, oh, yes, I asked to be here today, didn't I, God? (laughs) Okay, we're cool. I pop in a speaker tape and I'm okay. But it gets me out of the way. And so in the next paragraph, Bill says, in thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. I don't do that enough either. How often do you ask God for inspiration? How great is that, that we have that tool right at our fingertips, right there? Inspire me. How great is that? Um, We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. And then he talks about how we're going to make all kinds of crazy decisions. Uh, We conclude meditation with a prayer that we'd be shown all through the day what we do next, which I talked about. He talks about asking our wives or partners to join us in prayer and then to look and see where religious people are right. And I firmly believe that. I do a lot of volunteer work in my community. I'm on the town council. I'm in the Lions Club. I'm in the Friends of the Lake. I'm on this school board committee. I coached in Little League and soccer and basketball, and I did all of that stuff. And I want to tell you, if you volunteer all the time, you will find that the people who are the hardest workers and who are there shoulder to shoulder with you day after day tend to be religious people. Not a coincidence, not an accident. They have learned as part of their spiritual growth that being of service and giving back is what they do. And uh, so I, I get that. I, I really try to look to see where religious people are right. Um, on the last page, page 88, he says again, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, and foolish decisions. We become much more efficient, right? Increase in effectiveness and understanding. Uh, we do not tire so easily for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. We alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. Does anyone else identify? Do you have days where you're burning up energy foolishly because you're just driven by self-will and you're going to get them to do it your way and you're just going to keep going no matter how many times they say no because I have a better idea and you're going to do it my way. You know what I mean? And that the energy and the stress of that is exhausting. And so um, let's see. For step 11, I know I grabbed a quote or two. Again, a nod to Sandy. From the 12 and 12. And so I just, oh, I love this. Um, I highlighted this. There is a direct linkage among self-examination, meditation, and prayer. That's powerful. That, that together, the synergy 
of me continuing to take inventory and cleaning house and praying and meditating allows me to grow spiritually by leaps and bounds, allows me to be comfortable in this skin. And that's really all I ever wanted. Um, and then he talks about how uh, our imagination runs wild and he, and he suggests we point imagination towards the right objectives. You know, I live one day at a time, but it's okay to have dreams. It's okay to set goals. Whatever your deal is, whether it's you want to write the great American novel or, or make your movie or uh, whatever it is, create a business, it's okay to dream. It's okay to imagine. It's okay to put your energy towards that. Um, and so let me see how I'm doing on time. We are kicking butt. Okay, step 12. I have some strong opinions about the 12 step. And I was, you know, as, as I said, my sponsor, when he gave me that daily routine, I had to pray for 25 minutes in the morning. Again, pray for 10, read for 10, sit quiet for 5. At the end of the day, I had to uh, get down on my knees again, say the seven-step prayer, and review my day. You know, look at page 86. Did I owe anybody an amends? Um, I had to go to seven meetings a week. Only two of them could be speaker meetings. I had to get two commitments at those meetings. He said I could share about the problem all I wanted to. Before I shut up, I should share about the solution. And my keen mind says, well, if I'm sharing about the problem, it means I probably don't know what the solution is. And he said there's 12 of them. They're usually on the wall. Pick one. And the other thing he had me do, the other thing he had me do was for 60 days, because I was going to 90 meetings in 90 days, for 60 days I had to get the phone number of a guy with less time than me. I had to give him my phone number. But he said, don't just give him your phone number. They won't, they won't call you. <laughs> I took that personally. <laughs> so I had to get their phone number. And since I was going to a meeting the next day, I had to call him and say, hey, I'm going to 2 plus 2. Can I save you a seat? Do you want to meet me? I'm going to Kelton. I'm going to Rodeo, whatever it was. And I was to put those numbers down on a legal pad. And so at the end of 60 days, I had 60 phone numbers. And it was tough. You know, I'd get to meetings late. I'd get into sundowners. And, um, you know, obviously we raise our hands as newcomers in, in, at the beginning of the meeting. But I'd get there late, and I didn't get a chance to see who identified as newcomers. And so I have a year and a half of sobriety. I have a big window of people that have less time than me. It's not like I'm in my first 30 days. But I would run around, and I'd grab guys. I'd go, what's your name? Bob. Bob, how much time you got? Two years. Get out of here. You know what I mean? <laughs> And I, because I was so scared of my sponsor, I was going to get these 60 numbers in 60 days. And I want to tell you, it changed my sobriety. Because as I said, when I, when I got here, I knew the way I drank and used, I'd earned my seat. But I was convinced one more time that I didn't fit in. You were cooler, you were prettier, you were smarter, you had it together, you were all friends with each other, and I didn't belong. You know, that was my take on the deal. And what happened is, because I'm going to the same meetings every week, I'm going to the same, going to Kelton Monday, 2 plus 2 Tuesday, Kelton Wednesday, Thursday night I'm going to the hot dog meeting for CA, whatever it is. And so now, about 30 days into this exercise and 30 phone numbers later, I would walk into one of those meetings and three or four guys would come up to me and say, hey, how you doing? And they're newer and more scared than I am. You know, all I ever wanted to do was fit in with the cool people in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I couldn't. There were a lot of very trendy people in AA in Los Angeles in the late 80s. I want to tell you that. 
and I was convinced I couldn't fit in and I would try to inject myself in the conversation or try to become part of them and I couldn't. I couldn't break through. And all of a sudden, they see all these guys coming up to me and they go, geez, Flo, you're working with a lot of newcomers. Grab your guy. Come out and eat with us afterwards. How did that happen? You know? And so I, by doing this exercise, some of those men I never saw or talked to again. Some of those men are in my life today. You know, and I did this back in 1988. And I, I, I want to say out loud, if you want to change your sobriety, do this exercise. 60 numbers. Don't put them in your phone. We didn't, we couldn't do that. We couldn't store numbers back in 1988. Write them on a piece of paper. And if you don't go to meetings every day, if you go to four meetings a week, take three months or four months. But get those 60 guys, call them, check in on them, invite them to the next meeting you go to, establish some friendships. Your life will change. Now, the other thing I'll tell you, having sponsored dozens of men over the years, most people can't do this. Why I was able to do this, I don't know. I don't know why God gave me the strength to complete the task. Like I said, I was scared to death of Kenny. He was tough. And I just did it. But it will change your sobriety. It will change your life. Come back to me and prove me wrong. I dare any of you to take that challenge. It will absolutely change your sobriety. So if you've been listening, you understand that um, I didn't necessarily do the steps in order. By the way, before Kenny was my sponsor, I, I, I had a guy named Israel at about six months of sobriety. I got Kenny at about 18 months. And Israel got me right into writing a four-step. And so we, we went to the cemetery and we knelt down and we said the third-step prayer out loud. And I signed my big book and dated it like a contract right after the third-step prayer. And he showed me the columns and he said, look, you don't have to do it all tonight. Write a page. Go home and start making your resentment list. Just go home and call me tomorrow. I didn't call him for a year. I was not ready. You know, if you don't like yourself, the idea of intense self-examination is not something you leap at. And so I was a little scared of the fourth step. And I want to tell you, if you are new or not so new and you haven't done one yet and you're scared, it is a paper dragon. I want to tell you that my experience with all the men I work with, after they get it done and read the fifth step, they go, is that it? Is that all? You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so you will notice that my sponsor had me doing steps 11 and 12. I was praying and meditating every day, morning and night, and I was reaching out to newcomers before I did a four-step. So I hear people say, well, the steps are, or you have to work the steps in order. No, not my experience. You need to work four through nine in order, the action steps, but not my experience. I was doing 11 and 12 before I ever wrote an inventory. And what happened for me is some of those guys that were coming up, running up to me when I went into the meeting because they were more scared than I was, started asking me to sponsor them. And I went to Kenny and I said, Kenny, holy shit, what do I do? Like they want me to be their sponsor. And he said, stay one step ahead of them. Maybe it's time you wrote an inventory. And I want to tell you, pretty girls in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous watched those newcomers ask me to be their sponsor. So my character defects work for me sometimes. <laughs> whether I want them to or not because I didn't want her coming up to me going, are you sponsoring that new guy? I said, no, my sponsor won't let me. And so I started writing that four-step. 60 pages of stuff took four hours to read. My sponsor was smart. He had me put my deepest, darkest secret at the top of the first page and any other secrets right there. All of my secrets had to do with sex. I said I wasn't going to talk about my junk, and I'm not. But my two deep, dark secrets were that um, I, had, uh, I had engaged some professionals in sex right. 
I'd made an investment in that area. <laughs> number one. And number two, I was a huge fan of self-love. <laughs> Three, four, five times a day if need be. And so you got to remember, I'm a recovering Catholic, so I have all this shame about this stuff, so that goes at the top of the deal. The point is, I had... I had my sponsor pulling me through the steps, but that wasn't enough with the first sponsor. I had new guys gently pushing me as well. And it was through that that I got to do that inventory and I had the same experience. After I was done, I was like, is that it? And I had so much in the way of sex issues that he sent me to other 12-step programs, which I attended and ultimately came back to work them out in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I did the work. I cannot describe the feeling of how good that was to have done the work. And that's why I love listening to Fist Steps. I love hearing guys just pour it out and let it all go and be free of that stuff they've been carrying around forever. So I want to just read um, a couple paragraphs out of Working With Others. Because I, the first two, I think, is what this weekend is all about. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. He says that over and over again. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up around you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. We know that you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to this weekend that said, this is my favorite weekend of the year. This is frequent contact with newcomers and with each other. This is what Bill is talking about in this book. This is the fellowship. This is the camaraderie. This is the learning. This is the hearing something new about a step that you've never heard before. This is the connecting. And that's what the 12th step is all about. Remember I talked about whether it was the maintenance steps or the growth steps. Here we go. Pray well, obey well, and play well. Okay? Pray well, one, two, and three. Trust God. Obey well. Do the work. Four through nine. Clean house. Play well. Ten, eleven, and twelve. I'm going to call them the play steps. I like it. You know what I mean? Because I am in the game. Everything I do up to step nine is preparation to get me in the game and save lives and to help other people. So now I get to play. I get to play in the area of Alcoholics Anonymous because I can save a life where no person who doesn't have my experience as an alcoholic can. I get to play out there in that world. I get to be successful. I get to have influence. I get to make a difference. I get to change people's lives. That's what 10, 11, and 12 allow me to do. But I have to stay current. I have to stay in the work. I have to talk to my sponsor. I have to connect with the men that I sponsor. I have to go to meetings. I have to continue to pray and not because there's a lot of mornings I cut that short or don't do it at all. You know, I have to continue to read this book. Every time I open it, they put something new in there. You know? And so these are the play steps with me because I want to be in the game. When I was getting loaded, I wasn't in the game. I wasn't on the sidelines. I wasn't in the stand. I was drinking beer in the parking lot, man. You know what I mean? I was so far away from the action. And I'm one of those people. I want to be in the middle of it all. And that's the theme of this weekend. You know, the herd instinct is to be in the middle of it all. We have a herd instinct because we have a common bond. 
You know, Bill talks about that and there's a solution. He says, the feeling that we have shared a common peril is one element of the powerful cement which binds us. But that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. There's three elements in the cement. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree, element two, and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action, element three. Trust God, clean house, help others. It always comes back to the same idea of, uh, of working together. I did want to read one more paragraph. Um, there's a great line, by the way, uh, on page 93. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. That's what the 12-step is all about. Bill says, never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing when you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. It may mean the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police, courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she is neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he is violent. Sometimes you will have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you will have to meet such conditions. Obviously times have changed. But what Bill is saying in that paragraph is I need to be inconvenienced. And so what I want to ask you guys today is how much inconvenience is in your life and would it get better with more? Because my understanding is that it would. Um, one of the things that I'm so grateful for, when I asked Kenny to be my sponsor, he immediately gave me direction. He spoke three or four nights a week and he went everywhere and guys would ask him every night to be they're sponsoring. Kenny didn't believe in saying, no, I'm full, I've got enough. And so what he d did is he gave you direction. And if you followed the direction and made the cut, he kept working with you. And so he told me to meet him an hour early at, th at that meeting the next week. And I showed up an hour early the next week. And he said to me, you know, I want you to understand that I'm working with you in order to keep me sober, not to get you sober. Do you understand that? And I nodded my head up and down. I had no idea what the man was talking about. <laughs> But I'm a people pleaser, and so there you go. I understand today what he was saying. On uh, page 94, Bill says, It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass th this on to him plays a vital role in your own recovery. Actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. Make it plain he is under no obligation to you that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of, of other people ahead of his own. I think we soft-pedal that message today. You know, and the model's changed. It's treatment now. It's not so much meetings. But I don't think we tell newcomers right away, hey, you know what? I'm helping you so that you can help someone else when you get well. You know, how often do we tell them what you're going to, it's important that you place the welfare of other people ahead of your own? I know their head is spinning, but I think... It, it would benefit me in working with other people to plant that seed even earlier. You know, um, I'm so grateful for the life I've been given in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, uh, 
I do have a life beyond my wildest dreams, and it doesn't mean riches and fame. What it means is that I, I get to travel through my day and be comfortable in my own skin. And like I said, I have a very big life, and I get to influence and positively affect a lot of people. That's all I ever wanted. You know, that's all I ever wanted was to make a difference. And you guys and God have given me that ability. And so I'm pretty sure if... Uh, If I do today what I did tomorrow, I'm going to stay sober and keep growing. Thanks for listening. God bless. All right, that was beautiful. Thank you, Flo. Let's thank Flo one more time.